Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about spiritual food. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good time ringing in the new year, and I also hope that as you go into 2019, you're considering some ways that your life might get better this year. I really like the new year for being a time when we can start new things that will benefit us or restart some things that maybe we haven't done in a while that will help us grow. And as part of that, I really hope that you are considering what might grow you spiritually in the next year. And maybe as you consider that idea, listening to sermons will be a part of it. Maybe even listening to our sermons at Creekside will be a part of it. If that's true, then I would really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, our sermon podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're anything like me, it's hard to remember to check in and see the latest episodes of podcasts unless you've hit the subscribe button and you're getting a notification that a new episode has gone live. And so I really hope that you'll that you'll subscribe. If you'll do that, it will help you remember to listen to them, but it'll also help others learn about our podcasts. Leaving a rating and review does that as well, and so if you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God, and I hope that all of my sermons this year will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I, uh, I posted this question on my Instagram story this week. Does anybody else? I know it's a weird question and it, I ended up with way too much information and you'll understand why I shouldn't have asked it as soon as I, I tell you what I asked. But I said, Is any, did anybody else, has anybody else uh, become allergic to anything as an adult? And then people like crazy are responding to me and it, it leads me to ask this follow-up question that was really stupid, like how does it manifest itself? And so then I'm just talking about people's diarrhea for like two hours of my Wednesday um, and uh, other things too. A lot of uh, tingly lips apparently, which uh, my brother-in-law, uh, when we were roommates, we, he got that with apples out of nowhere and it's continued and so I kind of knew that was a thing. But it went on forever and, and it's kind of amazing how many people know about their allergies um, but oftentimes people and you know this because you do it too like when you know what makes you unhealthy uh, you still sometimes eat those things anyway and I, I've told you this story I've been gluten-free before you knew what gluten-free was I've been gluten-free like for 15 years or something now and uh, and and the reason was because I could see the symptoms uh, in my in my body so clearly that that it's made it really easy not to uh, want bread you know or a brownie's not worth being able to not walk anymore Um, but a lot of times you know people with diabetes will just fill themselves with sugar people will uh, continue to eat the things that they know they they shouldn't eat and I think what it is and I'm I'm this way a little bit I, I think that sometimes we equate uh, learning new stuff with becoming more healthy. I think it's one of the reasons that we like diet fads or new exercise programs is because like when we look them up online and we say we're going to do them, it makes us seem healthier even if we actually don't move towards health 
at all? Does that make sense to you? And, and, and I guess I would illustrate that in my uh, enjoyment of office supply stores a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm fairly organized at this point in life, but uh, even when I was a disaster, and those of you that have known me, you can remember my car, just stuff everywhere. Just I thought there was a poopy diaper in my car for a three-month period, but I never looked to see, really. Uh, I was just a mess of a young man. Uh, working at this church, it's amazing it still stands. And Uh, And yet, even then, at that time in my life, I loved going into office supply stores because it made me feel so organized. You know, it's like, oh, I could put that there and that there and that there. And oh, if I just had that shelf, I'd be totally organized. And I, I think with our health and I'm the same when I go into hardware stores, think about all these things I can build and then realize I can't build anything, but I feel like I can when I look at all the tools, you know? I'm like, hey, there's a thingamabob. I could totally, like, use that somehow. And, and a lot of times we equate learning about things with, with growing in our health or our ability to do things or our ability to become more organized. And and sadly, that is a spiritual reality for the American church. We have equated this thing called discipleship, this biblical term for becoming more like Jesus, very simple definition of discipleship, but becoming more like Jesus, we've equated that with learning more things about the Bible or about theology or whatever it might be. Uh, there's this thing that keeps popping up on, on Facebook, it's an advertisement. And I don't know if it's because Facebook knows what I'm preaching on right now or what, but it, it keeps coming up over and over, and it's like, Jesus didn't teach in a classroom, so why do we make classroom setting the only way to do discipleship or something like that? And, and it's, it's kind of true. I haven't clicked yet. They haven't gotten me, but, uh, but, it, but it's semi-true. We have equated learning about God with growing in our relationship with God. And as we finish this series on, on spiritual food today, uh, really what this final passage is going to say to us is that simply reading the Bible more, simply learning more about the Bible, more about God through His Word or through what other people have written, it, it's, it's not going to help us become more spiritually help, healthy uh, unless, unless, we, unless we learn to put those things into practice. And and so what's happening is there's this book called Hebrews, and Hebrews is this kind of complex uh, epistle letter written to a group of Jewish Christians, and, and in it, Paul, be, or, Paul or the author uh, begins to, to say, like, I want to teach you something about this concept of Jesus being the high priest. The Israelites had a high priest who, who did some very specific ministry tasks for the people of Israel. And, and this author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is the high priest. And he gets to this topic where, where he's going to use this, this priest named Melchizedek, and he's going to talk about how Jesus uh, is, is like the Melchizedek priest, and he's in the Melchizedek line, and how the, Melchizedek himself was a type, uh, like an analogy, if you will, for what Jesus would do for us. And then in the middle of it, this kind of whole section on the high priest, right after he brings up this very confusing topic of the Melchizedek priesthood, he pauses and he kind of takes a break, like a giant parenthetical for several uh, paragraphs. And, and, and so here's how that begins. We're going to look at one of those paragraphs today. In Hebrews 5.11, he says, we have much to say about this. 
talking about the, Jesus as high priest and the Melchizedek order and all that. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. He more literally writes, it is hard to explain. Uh, and that is like, you couldn't have said something more true because the book of Hebrews is, to me, it's just a very hard book to understand. It's a, a book that if you don't have a Jewish background, it's really difficult to try to get into the mindset and understand why it's a big deal that Jesus is the high priest or, uh, or things like that. And, and so he says it's hard to explain, and, and he doesn't say it, though, because it's, it's hard to explain. He says it rather because, uh, because they are choosing to not accept the things that they already know. It's hard to explain because, in his words, they no longer try to understand. More literally, they become dull of hearing. Uh, this word is connected to laziness, and in other words, what he's saying to them is when it comes to spiritual food, when it comes to ingesting the word of God, when it comes to learning about God, you have become lazy in your hearing. An author named Philip Hughes says they have become slack and their slackness has affected their attentiveness and their capacity to receive and retain solid instruction. We'll look at specifically what they're doing in a minute, but just pause button right there on that spot because I think that describes us pretty well. Uh, that's something we've talked about in the series. It's kind of how I started the series. Like as American Christians, we have become really lazy when it comes to the topic of spiritual food, when it comes to ingesting spiritual food, specifically when it comes to reading the Bible. We're just lazy about it. I mean, consider all the things that you get done in the course of a day. Everybody is busy. Ask anybody how they're doing and they'll tell you busy. It used to be fine and now everybody's busy. I don't know what happened. I don't know when we went from fine to busy, but at some point we went from fine to busy. Both have very little meaning. Everybody's busy. Everybody's doing everything, but people really struggle to take even five minutes out of their busy day where they do everything else that's so important to read the Bible. And, and, and if we could just admit, I don't mean this to be harsh because I've been in this spot before, it's just laziness, right? It's laziness in our attentiveness to what God would say to us. I, I came across this article uh, that was called, Americans are fond of the Bible, comma, don't actually read it. And it had some interesting data points. Uh, nine out of ten houses in America have a Bible. And, and we know that, you know, if we count a phone, then everybody now has a Bible pretty much. But nine out of ten uh, American households actually have a physical Bible in it. The average household owns three Bibles. That, that, that's weird, right? That's crazy that the average household would have three Bibles. And then this, 53% have, very, have read very little of it. I mean, that's staggering, and, and we devoted a whole sermon to how amazing it is that we have an English Bible in front of us and that we can read it whenever we want to. In the history of the church, there have been times when the average person had no access to the Bible. There are places today around the world where people cannot get Bibles, and if they get a Bible, it's dangerous for them to have a Bible, and, and, and here we are with nine out of ten houses having a physical Bible, the average house having three Bibles, and everybody having a Bible on their phone, and 53% of people would say, I've read very little of it. 58% wish they read it more, and that includes 22% of people who, who self-proclaim themselves as Bible skeptics. And so it seems that, that even people who don't believe the Bible are lazy about reading the Bible. They want to, but, but they don't. 
We like the, admit this with me just a little bit. We like the idea of having the Bible. We like the idea of reading the Bible, but we are lazy in consuming it and slack in applying it far too often. That's been kind of the premise of the whole series, but it's important here that we look and say this is exactly what Paul is saying to this group of Jewish Christians in the first century. Hey, hey, I have some hard things to teach you, but I can't because you've become dull in your hearing. You've become lazy in your consumption of the word of God. And then he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So we can assume here that it's been several years since these people became Christians. And in Roman circles, it was widely accepted. Paul comes kind of out of this background. If Paul is the author, it seems that the author here uh, at least has some type of Roman influence in the way that he writes. And and in Roman circles, it was widely believed and accepted. And we might take... uh, uh, we might have a problem with this, but it was widely believed and accepted that, that being able to teach was a sign of proficiency or maturity in a subject. So you, if you can't teach math, are probably, in their minds, not mine, you are, you are not a great math person. You haven't understood it fully until you can teach it to somebody else. This would explain my life, I could agree, when it comes to math anyways. I was decent at math, but asked me to explain it to somebody else, and I was horrible, and it immediately showed how far I I need to go in math. And he looks at them, and he says, perhaps with some irony, you people should be mature. And, and the reality is, in a lot of ways, they are mature Christians. And so he might be using irony and say, look, you're mature Christians, but you're not acting like it. You're acting like babies, even though there's been this three years of maturity, you've obviously grown because he is writing a very heavy book with some complex topics. It's not like in Corinthians, the passage we looked at last week, the the church in Corinth, where he's like, hey, you haven't matured enough for this. It's like, hey, you guys have matured, but you're acting like children. We use that language. We want to put somebody down. Stop acting like babies. I've told this story before, but uh, in a fall baseball game one time, uh, me and the shortstop, we had a little air at second base, and, and, and we, we didn't know anybody could hear us, and so we started a bicker back and forth. Justin is like a brother to me. I, I, we're good friends. We're longtime friends. We played a lot of sports together, but we're bickering. Your fault, my fault, your fault, my fault, and then, and then our coach from the dugout just yells out something to the effect of, you sound like a bunch of children out there. Super embarrassing. We didn't know anybody could hear us. Like, yes, we do. And we put our heads down and continue to play baseball. That's pretty much what Paul is getting at. You've moved past this, but you're not acting like it. He says that you need someone, even though you should be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. This is a really sharp way of saying you should be teachers, but you need to learn the ABCs again. That's pretty much what he's saying. You've matured to the point of being teachers, but now you're acting like children, acting like children who need to learn the ABCs again. He's not saying you need to learn to read again. He's not saying you need to learn sentence structure. He's not saying you need to to go back a step. He's like, you need to go all the way back to the beginning and start to focus again on the foundational truths. It's not that different than what we saw in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians last week. But as we'll see in a minute, the, the, the slant, the reason, the, uh, the goal of what Paul is saying is vastly 
different, and he moves to the metaphor that we have used throughout this series. He says, you need milk, you should need solid food. Uh, Needing milk was common language for elementary level instruction. Like when you were doing the addition in grade school, then people would say, those those kids need milk. And, And when you moved on to more complex structures, for me, that would be algebra. Some of you are like, that's not complex. But you know, like when you get to that stuff, then then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they need solid food. This was a common metaphor. It, didn't, it wasn't just the Bible. It wasn't like Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews just pulled this out of nowhere. It, it was a common metaphor, and he's looking at them and saying, look, at these advanced stages, you should have moved past these old fundamental truths, but you haven't. And he describes some of them in Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, just what follows this in the next chapter. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Move beyond doesn't mean we forget about them or we stop thinking about them. It means that we continue to build upon them. It's like as you move forward in mathematics, I know I keep using math, but it's a really easy way to describe it. It's not like we stop every year and have a debate about whether four plus four is still eight. You're not in, you're not in trigonometry going, but let's talk about whether or not it's true that four plus four is eight. You build upon it. I'm getting looks like trigonometry that would never come up. I don't know. I've never got that far, but sorry, math people. Um, I, have, I need to go back to the elementary truths. But, but we don't stop and have these discussions about whether the basics of math are true as we continue to move forward in math. Nowhere in my mathematical studies as I went into high school, we were like, but are we still sure that four plus four is eight? You just keep building upon it. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is you people should be able to now build upon these things. But you can't because you're stuck. You're stuck and you still need milk when you should need solid food. It says anyone in verse 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. The word biblical commentary says what is implied is a lack of responsiveness to the gospel and an unwillingness to prove the deeper implications of Christian commitment and to respond with faith and obedience. They've grown and they've matured. They've become more Christ-like. They've gained a better understanding of what God is like. And now, through their behavior and their lack of response to the things that they know, they have stepped backwards. And it's dangerous. You should continue to read in Hebrews 6. It's very dangerous to go backwards because he says you might end up no longer alive in Christ. His concern is that they won't fall away from the faith and, and here's the reality that Paul paints for us or the author of Hebrews. You can move forward or you can move backwards, but you can't just stay where you are. You're building upon the things that you know or you're di- digressing backwards in the Christian faith. And he says, this isn't, this isn't the way it should be. You should be moving forward. You should be moving forward. You should need more meaty subjects, but you can't because you are no longer applying the things that are right in front of you. Now, you might think that they have like, I don't know, the normal American sins, uh, and it's not that at all. Uh, it's 
pretty widely accepted that, that the way they're moving back is only, this is only going to be slightly familiar to us at all, is that they are, they are removing themselves from the world because they are scared that they are going to be martyred. So it's not like, you know, they're having trouble being nice to people. They're looking around. They are now oppressed. They are persecuted and they're scared. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 talks about the fear of violent death. And, and so they are, they are moving out of culture. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, you know as Christians that you have a job. And, and part of that job is to impact the culture around you. And so now out of your fear of death, you're removing yourself from the very culture that needs you, your love, and, and to hear about the love of Jesus. So I can't move forward because you're already you're already ignoring, sidestepping, not being obedient to the things that you already know that's what he's talking about here you need milk again because you have forgotten the incredible nature of the gospel that jesus came down from heaven he lived sinlessly he died for your sins he rose again so that you might have eternal life and, and in that sacrifice in that gift he has called you to follow him with all of yourselves even if that means death but you can't even you can't even stay in the world because you're scared of that so why would i talk to you about the high priest in the melchizedek order the issue is bigger than ours, right? We don't fear that. Uh, but it isn't that different than what we do. We take in the word of God. We know certain things to be true. And yet, we don't live them out. And Paul would look at us, or the author of Hebrews, whoever it might be, would look at us and say, why move forward in your understanding of God, what God is like, what God wants from you, if you can't even put into practice the things that you already know. It's like this. If you don't eat enough vegetables, then why, do you, why are you looking for the next diet fad? <laughs> right? Like if you're eating candy bars all day long, it's really unimportant to get on the 21-day fix because you already know that candy bars are bad and you can't do it. So why try to move forward and learning more about eating healthy when you're not even doing the things that you already know you ought to be doing? And the reason we do it, it's simple, right? We like learning more so we feel like we are getting better. But for the author of Hebrews, learning more is not the same as getting better because if it was, he wouldn't have this parenthetical statement, these several paragraphs where he stops and he says, wait a minute, we need to have a discussion about something else that's less complex. He wouldn't do that if he's like, well, as long as I teach him about Melchizedek, then their spiritual life is developing. He's saying, you're not developing with what you already know, so why would I add something else on top of it? I think that that this, perhaps of all the passages we've looked at, is the most important for the average American Christian. Maybe not you, but the average American Christian. Because we have the Bible, we have access to it, we have more preaching we can listen to more preaching than ever before you can listen to better preaching than ever before in the old days you would have been stuck with just me now you can get online and you can listen to any sermon around the country and you're going to hear some incredible sermons i mean we are not spiritually shallow because we don't have access to information about the word of god we're spiritually shallow because we have access to the word of god and choose not to live out the things that are in it that's the reality 
And for them, I mean, think about how far away we are from that. They're scared of what culture is going to do to them, and so they're leaving. And we're like, eh, I don't really care about any of it. You know, I'll lie a little, and I'll cheat a little, and I'll be a jerk to a little, and I'll do it. Just We just don't try. We're not even trying. They didn't need to move forward in the complexity of their learning. They needed to go backward and remember the basics again, how much Christ had done for them and, and how that that wonderful, incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross compels us to give all of our lives to him, every ounce of us, to be obedient to him in every way, to be willing to sacrifice even if it means that we actually sacrifice our lives. There's some debate about the teaching of righteousness, but the safest bet is to understand it in two ways. They need to get back to the teaching of righteousness one, that Jesus provides righteousness for us, and, and this righteousness is not based on uh, what we do or, or, or what we could earn, how much money we give to our church, how many Sundays we didn't miss, how kind we are to our neighbor. It's it, the righteousness, a right relationship with God is only through what Jesus did for us in the story that I've already told uh, some in this, this uh, Jewish Christian culture that he's writing to, you can read this in 6.4 and 10.29, they're starting to drift where it's like my work will get the job done. And, and here the author is like, you gotta go back and you need to remember that righteousness comes through what Jesus has done for you. And in some ways it's probably ethical righteousness that we need to go back to the very beginning and just say, what's right, what's wrong? What's right, what's wrong? Uh, I've, I've said this in a sermon before, but uh, you'll have to forgive me for saying it again. Not that long ago, my grandpa and I, we had a conversation. Basically, he, didn't, he wasn't the one saying this, but uh, we were talking about it. How, how sermons are, should be just be unnecessary. They're necessary, but they should be unnecessary because we should be able to just open the Bible and say, look what it says, I should apply it to my life. I think the reason sermons are so often necessary is because you don't really have a willingness or a desire to apply the things you read, and so you're relying on somebody to inspire you to put into practice the things that the Bible says. For the most part, I could stand up here on a Sunday and say, do you think this is right or wrong? Raise your hand if you think it's right. Raise your hand if you think it's wrong. And most of the time, you would be able to guess at least what the Bible would say is right and what the Bible would say is wrong. The only question is whether or not you are working to live out the right things and to avoid the wrong things. Right? Let me just give you a couple of examples. You don't have to raise your hand, but should you lie? Like, oh, no, I shouldn't, right? Should you be a jerk to your spouse? No, I shouldn't. Should you lust after anything this is what we're talking about next week should you lust after people or more money or whatever i probably shouldn't i love that god gave us his word and there are complex parts and there are complex things in it but the foundations are so simple it's just a matter of whether or not we're going to believe them and then try to live them out and then he says but solid food is for the mature who by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we've talked about this milk and this solid food, and the question becomes, um, how do we know, like, when we're at a point when we should be trying to take in more complex teachings of, of God? 
how do we know that? I mean, here's the question, and I don't, again, with all my illustrations, I never know if I need them, but I, I got this Whopper, which is making me hungry, the smell, it doesn't look appealing to me at all. Uh, and, and so if Paul's laid forth two things, like, like there's milk, the simple, uh, fu- foundational, easy, but incredible teachings of Jesus, and then there's a meaty burger, you can see the burger there somewhere inside that bun, um, and there's this, and we've talked over the last couple of weeks about this and this, like foundational truths, more complex, uh, higher truths of the Christian faith. The question is, how do we know when we should be taking bites of this? For these readers in Hebrews, it's not necessarily that they are not at a point when they should be eating burgers. Probably took that metaphor too far. Uh, but it is, it is that they currently, in this moment, need to go back to this because they have moved forward they've matured they are developing in their relationship with God it seems that that the author is wanting to give them some higher principles and so there's some movement forward but he says look right now you need this and so the question becomes how is anybody gonna eat this later so I'm just gonna put it here then the question becomes um (laughs) the question becomes How do we know? And that's the answer given in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 5. You know that you need bites of something more difficult, more complex. When you are reading the word of God and you are learning to make decisions about right and wrong based on what the word of God has said. This doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you are, uh, you've, you've totally matured and you're never going to sin again. And you're always going to do the right thing. But generally in your life, you are able to look at the Bible. You, you are looking at it. You are reading it. You are taking it in. You are ingesting it. And then you are saying, when I look at life, when I look at the world, when I, when I decide what is right and wrong, both in theology and in practice, I'm basing it on what God has said to me in his word. That's when we should be focused on moving forward in the complexity of what we eat spiritually. When we're at a place when we are reading the Bible and then working, striving, fighting, trying so hard to have it be the lens in which we view our life and our beliefs, that's when we're ready for something more. What we want to do is go, well, there's some sin in my life. Let me go learn about this other complex thing. We mask our sin, our spiritual ineptitude by trying to learn more things. And the author of Hebrews says, wait, no. Go back to the basics. Admit that you need to learn the alphabet again and go embrace the truths that you already know. Live them out. Believe them. Let your mind be changed by them as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about. And then come back and learn the more complex truths of the word of God this is this is an epidemic I said that last week but again this is an epidemic in the American church because somebody becomes a Christian and we just start telling hey here's the things you need to learn it's like hey learn something then learn to apply it and then learn something else This is not like everybody has the same process. I wish it could be that way. We like things like that, like 40 days and you're the perfect Christian. We like 40 days. 40 days and you'll have this area solved and 40 days and you'll have that thing fixed. It's not that way. 
you got to look inside and say, what I know of Scripture, is it driving my beliefs and my behaviors? And if it's not, then go read it again. Go pray about it. Go ask God to change you. And I see, like, in, in, our, in our world where, and I keep saying beliefs and behaviors, it's really important because it's not just our ethics. It's also the way in which we view the world. There are far too many Christians that are allowing culture to dictate how they view things, what they believe, when the Bible should be doing that. Uh, this, this idea, I, I, I swear it's like every other sermon I bring this up because it's a pet peeve of mine and I apologize, but, but this idea that God just wants you to be happy, right? And, and so many Christians live their lives just with that belief system, like, well, everything that I do, everything I believe, the way I view the world is, is based on God just wants me to be happy. That's not biblical. Your happiness is, is secondary to God. Your, your spiritual development, your ability to worship Him and glorify Him is first. The disciples, the first ones to follow Jesus, they, they were not happy when they were beaten, tortured, mocked, and killed for their faith. They had joy, I believe, I hope. They had peace in all of that. But they weren't like, dude, this is awesome! That's not what you say when you're being nailed to a cross or burned or killed by stoning. And so many Christians I know have just taken this, this unbiblical approach and said like, well, if it makes me happy, then God must want me to do it. A lot of things make me happy that are horrible. I'll tell you this, it's the same with our physical health to continue to this metaphor, but a, a, a whopper might make you really happy. But that doesn't mean it's really good for you. For me, it's sugar, just to not, you know, harp on you Whopper people. But a milkshake is not good for you just because it makes you really happy. And it would right now because I'm smelling a Whopper. <laughs> There's even some of this, like, I mean, the world has tried to reject right and wrong, right? Like, like right is right for me and wrong is wrong for me, but this is, this is not a universal reality. And, and some of that is, has come into our churches we're like, eh, I don't feel, I don't feel convicted. <laughs> like, that's a big one in our, the American church today. Like, well, I don't feel convicted. What, what, what? You murdered the man. You know, I mean, I don't really care how you feel. It's still wrong. We usually do it about smaller things than murder. Like, oh, I told a lie, and, and I don't feel guilty about it, so I'll do it again. You need to go back to the basics you need to drink the milk of God's word. You need to look at the simple stuff and you need to work to apply those things to your life and then you can come back and you can read the book of Hebrews and learn about the Melchizedek priesthood and when you figure out what it means, you can come tell me. We, what Paul says, he uses other words, cool, I like it. He uses this word that is basically how we use the word palate. It's like an organ of the senses. It's like, as you take in the basics and you work, you fight, you strive, you use that word is like an athlete. As you, as you strive and try and work hard to, to apply it, then over time, you'll gain like this, this sixth sense, if you will, where you just know, you just have an idea of what God would want in certain situations. We use the word discernment in Christian circles. Over time, you don't have to go back and go, what does God say about that? You just... You just know. 
because you've worked and you've, you've tried and you've fought to apply the words of God to your life so many times that over time it's this sense like, like, well, that person just said that the Bible says, but that doesn't sound right. I'll tell you there have been times in my life, the darkest time in my life, in fact, where, where it was hard for me to know if it was God or Satan whispering in my ear. And, and somebody wise in this church said to me, this thing that if I hadn't learned to take in the milk of God's word, if I had just tried to learn and never apply, it wouldn't have made any sense. But they said, does it sound like something God would say? Like, no, it doesn't. But if you haven't trained yourself, if you haven't taken in milk and, and then just applied it and said, I'm going to try to make all my beliefs filter through what I've learned and I'm going to try to make all my behaviors, I'm going to try to filter them through what I've already learned, then, then you'll never develop the sense of what God sounds like. Does it sound like God or not? Paul says your palate will be developed if you just train yourself to read God's word and apply God's word the word biblical commentary again says the writer uses irony effectively to summon the house church to resume their status as adults with its attendant responsibilities there's no reason to learn more if we aren't applying what we already know we need to go back when we need to go back we should go back and start at the beginning Am I doing the things I know to do? Am I avoiding the things that I know to avoid? Am I believing the things that God has said I should believe through the Bible? There's not a single reason to learn new things about Christianity if the things you already know aren't the greatest influencer of your beliefs and behavior. That's me. Let me say it again. There's not a single reason to learn new things about Christianity if the things you already know aren't the greatest influencer of your beliefs and behaviors. Here's my call for you today. This is uh, something I think is actionable. Uh, Take some time this week and just sit and and look at your life and say, okay, here's something I know about the Bible. Is there any way that I'm not putting it into practice in my life? And then say, I'll try. I'll try. Am I doing this? Am I believing this thing that I already know about what God has said? And where the answer is no, go back to the milk of God's word. Don't go, hey, let me learn something new about it. Let me find the greatest, newest book about this thing. Go, wait, let's drink it in again and do our best to apply it. Hebrews 13, 9 says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And in our world today, it seems like we want the newest and strangest and coolest teaching instead of just looking at what we already know about the Word of God and applying it to our lives. I'm going to end with a funny story. It's not really funny. I'm going to end with a funny anecdote that's not funny either. But um, I'm going to end with an anecdote. This is what I'm saying to you. Uh, that I heard many years ago, and uh, I don't know the real title of it, but it's, it's something along the lines of duck sermon, and uh, all the ducks in Duckville are, are going to church one Sunday, and the preacher stands up, and he's decided this is the Sunday where he's going to really let them have it because he wants to inspire them to do something greater. And so he gets up on the stage, and he preaches this enrapturing sermon 
about how they have wings and they should fly. And he preaches his entire heart. He lays it out there. He just, he just pours out his heart. And the people are saying amen. And they're, they're quacking along and they're excited. And the preacher ends with, we can fly, we can fly, we can fly. And so fly. And everybody walks up to him after the service and says, that was an incredible, that was an incredible sermon. You have touched my heart. You have enriched me. And then all the ducks waddle home. This is how we apply our Christianity far too often. When you know you should fly, fly, and then move forward. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be a church that would fly. I pray that we would be a church, God, that applies what we know of your word, that, our, that the greatest influencer, God, as I just said, of our beliefs and our behavior would be what you have said to us. Lord, I know there's some people here that, that that is true, and I pray, God, that they would have a hunger to move forward in their understanding about you and in their understanding of what you want. I pray that just because they have, have, have taken in the milk of your word and applied it, God, to their lives, that I just pray they wouldn't stop moving forward. I pray I wouldn't stop moving forward. But, Lord, I know that far too many in front of me, people who listen, God, online, they just don't care. Even if they read the Bible a lot, they just don't care to make it the greatest influencer of their beliefs and behavior. And I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, my words will not do the job. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them and inspire them to, to, to go back and to start over if they have to start over and to get to a point, God, where they are just ingesting your words and then trying to live, God, out of what you've said to them. It's a, it's a crying shame, Lord, that in America today we have such incredible access to your word and yet Christians' morality and beliefs seem to look more like the world, God, than, than ever before in our nation's history and I pray that you would change that, Lord. If there's any God in front of me right now, any who will listen online that, 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 you know, are, are people who just like the Bible, they're interested in the Bible, they keep learning more about the Bible, but they haven't given their lives to you, I pray that you'd take them all the way back and they would just ask themselves uh, by the power of your spirit, by the calling of your spirit, God, whether or not they should give their lives to you. And I believe the answer is yes, and I pray that they would do that, Lord. They'd give their lives to you, not try to move forward in their understanding of the complexities of Scripture, but, but move forward in their embrace, God, of the simple truths of your gospel that you died for their sins, you rose again, and you're offering them new life. I pray these things in, in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Uh,